0: Is brought to you by the Yoga Underground. Ario, uh, tell us about the Yoga Underground.
1: So the Yoga Underground is an alternative yoga studio based um, in Provo. So it's it's on 900 um, East, over near Vasa and ironically Little Caesars. And basically, um, <laughs> the owner there, Brittany Andrews, she has sort of developed her own form of yoga so it's a combination of hatha yoga and um a kind of power yoga mixture it's like a hybrid and she calls it tana yoga which translated into english from sanskrit means something like thirst for life and so the idea is to be a little bit more freestyled and And I suppose you could say liberal with the method of yoga. It's less rigid than Ashtanga, but it has elements of Ashtanga. So they don't just do the primary sequence, but they do a lot of other stuff. Um, And they try to incorporate mindfulness and meditation throughout their practice. And they play music. Sometimes they even have live musicians or live music, I should say. You know, violinists and so forth during the practice. And they host workshops there, um, just a number of really cool stuff. They even have uh, the Yoga Recycled hosted there, which is an organization that that does basically host free yoga. So a lot of different things going on there, and um,
0: they have really good prices too. I, I remember, um, you know, living in Alaska, living in Washington, you'd go and the yoga studios would they be like? it'd be like 60 bucks a month. Yeah. It's like, no, I mean, students can't afford that, but this, no. the yoga underground is pretty good.
1: Yeah. No, it's really, it's, I think it's really reasonable. It's like 35 a month, I think, per, yeah. per person. And, you know, I think even most of the time they have like a little special going on a couple times a year where you can get a membership for 30 a month if you're a student. Right. So it's, it's really well-priced, and uh, I just recently went through a teacher training there, and it was, it was excellent. It was a 200-hour, about a month long, and...
0: And anybody can do that? Yeah, yeah, anybody can
1: do it. We had people that were in there that that hadn't really done yoga much at all, um, and then, you know, I've been doing it for almost three years now. I mean, I'm not like an expert, but, you know, there was just. Gaps in the various skill levels, you know, and she accommodated all of that.
0: And, you know. So it's almost like a school, like, really, like, if you really want to learn yoga, it's kind of like a, a, like a, it's like going to school almost, yeah, right? Yeah. No,
1: she, she, I mean, there's a little bit of everything. She, she has us, she had us read excerpts from various texts that are considered foundational to yoga practice. So the, the Yoga Sutras by Patanjali and, you know of text by desica char and and some other guys and then we discuss it but we also do yoga like in the class and then we adjust each other while we're in different poses so there's a ton of different stuff going on and i came out feeling much more confident about my own practice and since then i've gotten um hired somewhere just part-time as a yoga teacher so she she turns out some really some really skilled people. I'm not necessarily one of them, but I can stand behind her (laughs) practice. Dude, you are one of them. You are one of them. But I can stand behind her, her course. It's, uh, it's been, it's been great. So yeah, I just finished that about a week ago.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yoga Underground is a great place. Go there, check it out, you know, see what you think. And, uh, I think, I mean, my experience has always been really good there. I've loved it there and it's good exercise even if you're not like, maybe you're not into the whole Eastern, you know, philosophy or anything. It's it's good exercise. Oh yeah, and I mean, a lot of people go there just for that, and that's fine, right? Yeah, no, ex,
1: absolutely. Like sometimes I I can remember back at the old location we had a few BYU football players come and and uh, even these guys really started enjoying it and gotten few of them got memberships, you know, because they you know they come in and they're thinking. Maybe they're a little skeptical at first. Their girlfriends brought them or something. But yeah. I think they realize, like, this is next yoga. level. Yoga, so, I don't want to do yeah. yoga. It's so
0: lame. Yeah,
1: but, you know, you get in there and you start doing the handstands and the inversions. And all of a sudden, your forearms are burning. You're thinking, okay, this isn't, you know, as easy as I thought, you know? You know these
0: big old buff football players start quivering,
1: <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, dude. <laughs> they're sweating and everything else. And so, yeah,
0: it's... It, it it's versatile. They it can right. you know,
1: anyone can go in there and they're going to get
0: something out of it, you know. Yeah. Awesome. Um this podcast is also brought brought to you by Mighty Planners. Mighty Planners uh are a company that make planners for minimalists, people who you know, get, sometimes you get a planner and you look in there and it's like Everything's laid out for you. The dates there. You know, there's little lists you got. You have to put in. It's just so rigid. And so, if you want something that's like more minimalist, more customizable, it's a. It's like the best planner ever. I love it. Um, I got one a couple months ago. I've used it way more than I normally use, like any other planner. It's a good planner. So, if you're interested in that, interested in getting one of those, mightyplanners.com. Um, you can. Use my coupon code Sean20 and get 20% off on your planner. So go do that.
1: And all of a sudden, there was a break in that, in that, in that project-drivenness, if you will. And for a moment, I just was interfacing with her and wondering who she. Would, and know there was no like. It's kind of like the Buddhist talk about like the thinking mind shuts off, right? All the theoretical, because there's ideas that pop up about her or people that you're speaking with maybe you're like man i wish this person would shut up i've been chatting too much you know this or that you know right but when the thinking mind shuts off it's all of a sudden it just you're in the experience rather than being outside the experience looking on the experience right right you're like not meta anymore you're just you're in it you know and so i'm like looking at her face and this is going to sound kind of weird but like seeing all the contours of her face and her eyes and like her body language and really just speaking with Robin, you know, and that's it. The, I'm not thinking that was about, her name. yeah, that was her name and not thinking about speaking with Robin or not thinking about not speaking with
0: Robin, just speaking with her. Right. Well, so what do you think made you like, is that normal? Do you do, does that happen to you throughout the it day? Doesn't. Or do you think it was just like some weird connection? Maybe like, Spiritual connection you guys had, or just like, or just just the right time of the day, or something. It's so
1: weird, yeah. I'm not sure what it is because number one, it doesn't happen very often. Like I can't say that that happens like not even close to once a day, dude. And then number two, I don't think that there's anything about her particularly that elicited that experience. So I don't know what it was, but there was maybe just a sense in which lately I've been, I've been, I don't know if I told you, I got this app in which it's it's based on this custom that they have in the country of Bhutan. So it's over near Nepal, super small country, dude. I think there's, there's, you know, <laughs> I feel like there's like 45 people that live there. But anyway, you know, they, they had this custom where they remind themselves of their death five times a day. And so this app, that's what it does. You get the app, and then it gives you a reminder. You know, every every so every so few hours, and basically, you click on the reminder, and it opens up a quote about death. The idea Whoa. is to remind you about your death. Wow! And I've been thinking a lot more about my death, and sort of thinking like, um, trying to. I don't know if the word analog, analogize make my life analogous to this idea of driving down the street and you you know there's a red light far ahead and you speed up to the red light only to have to stop once you get there. And there's a sense in which that's what happens throughout our day. We were so we're so much in a rush to get to a place that that it's not clear why we would ever need to be in a rush if that makes sense. Right
0: it's kind of a hard so it's kind of like people when they go to work they're just it's, they're not even thinking about enjoying work or being at work or just like even being present while they're at work they're thinking about the end of the day I'm gonna be you know sitting on the couch or whatever right. or and like even just seeing a friend or whatever yeah. I mean, whatever it is it could be a good thing you know
1: and then the irony is though is that I think that that mentality takes root in the mind and it doesn't go away so that when you get done with work and you come home,
0: you're still continuing you st- in that exactly. Yeah, yeah, you have to be practicing staying in the present in order to be in the present for the time that you want to be in. Right? right, exactly. So if you're just just not paying, not being present at all through work, right, right, it's gonna be the same when you get home. There's yeah. gonna be no because it's a practice. It requires. It's like a skill. That's right. Know? Yeah,
1: and there's always again we're going back to our earlier discussion today about being project-driven creatures. There's always going to be some further project, right? So when you get home from work, it may seem as though like your project at work is just to get home so you can be with your family. But once you get home and you're with your family, you find that in fact that there is another project that really now you're thinking about the next day at work or you're thinking about the vacation that you're going to take with your family two weeks from now. You see what I'm saying? So it never fully stops. It's like you said, it's an attitude that has to be cultivated as opposed to, some kind of external space that you'll find in your life in which the present is just presents itself to you, you know? Right. The present will never present itself to you. You have to present yourself to the present
0: kind right. of. Right, and it has to be constant. Like it's got to be consistent effort, right? Right. Like yeah, it does it's not easy to be in the present. No. Like we I mean you've been doing this yoga thing, right? Yeah. For, a long time, and we both have been practicing meditation yeah. and yoga to some degree, right, as often as we can for a long time. Since so basically since we've known each other, yeah, absolutely. And
1: and I don't. In some I'm ways not I'm even
0: like, close, dude. I'm so, not even close. In some dude. ways, I
1: don't even know if I like improved. I hope <laughs> I have, but
0: I'm like, oh, you have, dude. You have. You definitely have. I think. I mean, the fa- the very fact that you can think about these things and observe them and just like notice the problem, you know,
1: right means something I would hope so I mean I think I'm definitely aware of the fact that I'm not in the present a lot of times you know um, but yeah I mean that's and that's you know one of the reasons why of course in yoga and in meditation stress or, or emphasis I should say not stress emphasis is, is put on the breath right because the breath is something that is like so constant it can root you to the present moment. You know, and I wasn't doing that. Obviously, when I was with Robin, I wasn't like speaking with this lady here at Costco. Then, okay, let me bring my focus back to the breath. It was just something about it. I was just was speaking with her and looking her in her eyes, and just this this encounter with this woman r- ripped me out of my theoretical abstractions or whatever this this reality that is oftentimes. Mediated by my thinking all the time, mm-hmm. I was ripped from that, in which I was just interfacing with just Hirsch.
0: Do you think that's a product of all this effort you have put into meditation and mindfulness? Or do I mean, you think it, that it's almost like disconnected and it was something else entirely.
1: I, I want to, it would be cool to be able to say that it's a product of the mindfulness and whatnot, but I, I don't think do I can lay yeah. claim to that, dude. Because that's good,
0: I mean, I that's good to be honest. Like, some people, yeah. Definitely. It's right. all my effort. It's <laughs> all the effort I in. Yeah. It's led to this. You know, but this is so stupid. If, if it
1: was, I'd feel like it'd be more often, you know? Because I go to yoga like four or five times a week, and I'm not having these experiences at ladies with, with ladies at Costco, let me right. tell you, you know? I'm not having experiences <laughs> with my dang roommates, you know what I mean? And so it's... What led to that? I don't know. I, I really don't but know. But it could be. It could be, yeah. So what we're saying
0: is... We don't know.
1: Yeah, we don't know. And, we, you know, it certainly helps, I think, to practice meditation yoga. I mean, that can't hurt, you know? Right. So, you know, I don't know. I I think it's kind of almost, part of me thinks that maybe what happens, like, if you remember the other day when, when we were doing yoga together and you were practicing the handstand and we were talking about how, like, In your mind, when you're in a handstand, you think that you're straight when in fact your body's bowed out. And so you learn, you know, someone fixes your posture and then basically once you're able to memorize what that feels like as straight, so to speak, then you're able to more easily get into that posture yourself. And to some extent, I wonder if that's kind of how all these things are to some extent, you know? Like being in the present moment what kind of attunement does that have, you know? And if you can more easily recognize that, then you can recognize when you're not in that, and then you can recognize when you're in that, and begin to draw yourself back to it when you're not there, you know? Um, Because, like, most of us, we haven't even experienced it enough to know what it's like, you know? Right. It's something kind of special. It's kind of cool, maybe kind of mystical. We're paying more attention. Who knows? But... We don't even know that we're doing it when we're doing it, you know?
0: Right. Yeah, I mean even in that moment, like that you're talking about, you know, when you are in the present, right? Yeah. Even just to get to that point. This is hard it's kind of hard to explain what I'm thinking, but it's like there's there's a space between when you start meditation, right? And right. they tell you focus on your breath, focus on your breath or count even, like they'll yeah. say, Count one two, three, right. That's not actually what meditation is. Right. That is trying to train your mind to be able to get into the meditation. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Right. Which is like, that takes effort just to get to the point where you could actually allow yourself to get into meditation. Right. So it's a, it's a struggle, dude. And every day you just have to make, it's like subtle discoveries, like really subtle discoveries that help you kind of harness yourself absolutely to work. Yeah. and
1: and it's just i think it's also difficult in our culture i mean i was i think i mentioned this to you months ago but i read this book called wherever you go there you are by john john kabat zinn i think you mentioned you've read it before too and right. in it he talks about how you know it's so easy to always find yourself doing something mindlessly it's very difficult to find yourself doing something actually mindfully and it's really difficult, in fact it's almost just absolutely it just doesn't happen to do nothing mindfully. So it's like you know, the idea of meditation he's he he's he shared this funny anecdote where he said uh you know, something like people ask him what he tries to train people to do, you know, at the John Hopkins Hospital and he says we're trying to get people to do nothing. You know, and people are kind of weirded out by that idea, but he really honestly means it when he says, set aside 30 minutes of your day to just sit there and do absolutely nothing. And it's way harder than most people think because your mind's actually going in a hundred different directions and you're used to trying to attend to multiple tasks and actually doing none of them very mindfully at all, you know? And so the idea of just sitting there and just listening. Or, or yeah, just just sitting, simply sitting as the you know that's what the Zen Buddhist call it. Just sitting, is um is actually
0: an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. Oh, yeah, dude. There's no doubt about that. It's super difficult. I don't even, I don't know if I've ever just been able to just sit there, yeah, like and my mind be like completely at ease or whatever in the present moment for more than even like just a few minutes. Right. Like my maximum time, maybe three minutes. Yeah. But even those three minutes dude are when you're done, it's like you just, I don't know. It's like you just, your mind just took a rest that it's never taken before. Yeah. And it just feels really nice. And I, I think it helps you restart, you know, or like It just helps you get over things that maybe you're not even aware you need to go get over. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like a refresh button, like you know when your computer starts acting up and like you just sometimes you just need to reset it. Yeah, that's what it's like. Yeah, even for just a small
1: amount of time, three minutes, right? That's all it takes. Yeah, Yeah. it's remarkable. Just it's almost like a power nap throughout your day. I mean, it can be, you know, I mean if the day's 24 hours long, you think a 20 minute nap doesn't do anything, but we've all had those and we're like, those are amazing, you know. And with meditation, I feel like it can be something akin to that for for your mental faculty or whatever, you know? You just sit for three, five minutes and you come out feeling like you're in a different place, you know? It can disrupt the rhythm of your day in like a really good fashion, you know? Sometimes my day is not going so well. If I just take a seat and just sit there for a few minutes trying to meditate, then then, uh, you know, I, I'll find myself emerging from that like it's a different day.
0: Right. You know. And that's not to say that it's like the answer to everything. right? Because no. we've talked about this before. Like right. Sometimes, I mean, I've read an article in the New York Times that talked about this where some people are in a state, it could be depression or whatever, they're in a state where actually doing meditation could... Potentially make it worse. Yeah, And um, and it's backed by, you know, scientific studies and stuff. Right. I, I wish I knew the name of the article off the top of my head. I would share it right now. But it was really interesting because I never... I always... That was always my go-to answer. Right. Like, anybody who's like, I just don't know what's going on, man. Right. You know, call me up on the phone or whatever, and I'll be like... Have you, I'll, I'll listen to them, you know, and then at the end I'd be like, have you tried, like, meditating or anything? Right. And, dude just it's not it's not always the right answer yeah it's not a panacea you know so that and i think maybe that's why sometimes like yoga people and people who are into that kind of thing get a bad right a reputation right oh yeah because they're like yeah just meditation that's the answer
1: oh you know and it doesn't help that you do get some of these you know i mean some of these some of these guys you know you you know oh, your leg's here's your legs broken, or, you know, you know, that never, I guess that wouldn't really happen, but, you know, let's say you got some throbbing pain in your arm, and it's like, well, <laughs> oh, just, here's a little peppermint oil, and just sit there for a few minutes, and just take some deep breaths Think in. about how
0: good life is. Yeah, and it's like, and are how, you kidding me? And how not badly your leg is in pain. Yeah,
1: I and I don't know, I don't know about that, so, yeah, there's some of that is deserved on their
0: part, you know? Right. Let me ask you this, so we were talking about this earlier, but I think it's a really interesting topic, but you're talking about how sometimes here in Provo you'll like tell people that you do yoga and they like react like you're just a freak kind of a thing. Or like you just like oh, you must be you must not be LDS or Right or something you you get that is that like how often does that happen to you
1: i mean i think honestly it i've i don't try to share that like within the very very beginning stages of conversation with someone new because i you're
0: often, afraid of judgment yeah
1: i'm afraid of judgment that's frankly what it comes down to there's a host of connotations that comes along with People practicing yoga, you know, that's just a reality of it. There's, there's a lot of people that go to yoga studios that aren't LDS, and, you know, frankly, they've found that the culture that surrounds yoga is one that, that kind of champions a more wholesome way of looking at your health. You know, so it's not just about, um, you know how do I say, it? it's objective measurements for how you're doing, but it's more about how you feel you're doing, right? So, you know, some people, when they want to get healthy, they'll look online and say, like, how do I lose five pounds? And it will say something like, well, if you run four miles a day and if you do this diet, you know, there's like these objective measurements for how to live your life that will be, you know, that, that, that have been commonly accepted as being healthy but it could be the case that you do those things and you still just don't feel good about yourself. And there's a lot of people that go to yoga that think it kind of a different way where it's like, look, you know, way that you feel about yourself is the true indication of where you're at, you know? And I think that there's something to be said for that and that's why you get a lot of people that like to go to yoga, you um, who feel like they're not getting enough of that. You know, they they're for whatever reason the quality of their life doesn't match up to the standards that are used to measure it either by their family or their friends, you know, they go to church or they do all these other things but something still isn't right, you know. And you know, what kind of responses would they get, you know, kind of like, well, just keep doing it or you know, This is the good life, and you're just kind of you just haven't felt it yet. You know what I mean? But in yoga, there seems to be more of of an acceptance, maybe, that where you're at is where you're at, and that's fine. You know, and so with that, you get people who like they don't like organized religion because they've sort of eschew any kind of teaching that says this is the way that you ought to live your life. And so I think that's like what I've mostly encountered is I've told people, oh, I do yoga. You know, I can just kind of see it in their expression. And even, I think I was telling you this just the other day, a woman at work, I mean, she's not a member of the church, but I had told her that I did yoga and she asked me point blank, how does that work with like you being a Mormon?
0: Yeah. As if, so, people say that all the time.
1: Yeah, as if it's like a complete contrary, and I was blown away because I never, in my mind, I'm like, what do you like? How is it not in right. line with?
0: Or like, what is bad? What is how is it contradictory in y- any way?
1: Yeah. Why would it be? Why would? It, why wouldn't it work with the, the, the teachings of the LDS faith? You know, so I I don't know, but I think that there you know there are a lot of people that go to yoga studios that. Like I said, they eschew organized religion and especially out here in Utah, those folks tend to be a little bit more recognizable. You know, they usually have tattoos and they maybe they they drink coffee or they do this or that. And I think that as a community of religious people, we've learned the signs for
0: those who don't belong to our community. Right. And so there's... And sometimes they're just perceived signs. They're not real. Like some... I mean, there's... Lots of LDS people that have tattoos. Right. Right? And there's lots of people that grow their hair out right. that are LDS and yeah. good LDS people. But for some reason, yeah, in the culture here, like, we think, oh, that person's not a member. Like, my, my wife was talking about this the other day. Right. She's like, you know, anywhere else you go and you're running out in the street and you see some girl with a tank top on, you go, oh, it's a girl with a tank top on. Here you... Are running by them and you're thinking, uh, are, they, are they LDS? Are they not a member? Right. They're wearing a tank top. Yeah. You know, maybe this person isn't, isn't working out or right. anything. So it's like automatically like, oh, they must not be LDS. See,
1: part of me wonders though if how much of that is a consequence of the concentration of members in the area as opposed to cultural nuance. I think there's maybe a bit of
0: both, but I'm wondering... Yeah, that's I something I thought of because there's such a high concentration of yeah. people of LDS people, and you know there are right that you just like it's like almost like probability. You're like, you know, yeah. If, and so if they don't fit that paradigm, you're like, oh.
1: I mean, yeah. Just think about like you go to I go to Costco and I see eighty people that don't that that, that look somewhat similar in many different regards. And then I see one person that looks radically different. Maybe they have a tank top on in Costco and they have ta- you know they're fully sleeved with tattoos. That person's frankly going to stand out among all the other people that I see there, you know right. And so um, what to do about that, right? There's a sense in which there's inevitability in recognizing that person as having attributes that you would characterize as being deviating from, the, from a community. On the other hand, there's a sense in which that's not the problem. The problem is that we've extrapolated a kind of meaning from that, which is to say that we've then drawn the conclusion like, well, this person isn't worth talking to. You see what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. It's, so it's it's never just the fact. So some people would say like, well, you know, it's just natural that we're out here and like you notice people that are different. Okay, well. But is that really all that's going on in your interaction with them or your lack of interaction? Is it noticing that they're different or is it that you're actually extrapolating meaning from that recognition?
0: Right. And I've talked to lots of people that have been, I almost want to say the victim of that type of thinking. Right. That feels super isolated in this community. Yeah. And that shouldn't be the case. Like. There's got to be some dialogue between absolutely like, uh, between those the two cultures or two I don't even know what to call them. right because there there are frankly a lot of non LDS people right in even Provo right. Utah believe it or not yeah and a lot of people who have left the church right who they shouldn't be shunned right yeah. they shouldn't be turned away or thought less of right, right? they are following what they think is the right thing to do for yeah. them and um and it's only going to get more or there's only going to be more or i get, more people are going to move in and the concentration of lds people will just get less and less and less right and it's already created a kind of a fractured community oh yeah and it's just going to become more fractured if we let it continue to happen there's got to be some sort of dialogue right. that happens in this community between you know, people that are traditionally LDS and people that are not LDS, or who are inactive, or who are no longer LDS. Right. There's, there's got to be a better dialogue here. What do you think? Like, how did? I don't know. Yeah. I, I've thought about like, how could we help that? Because it's so weird here. Yeah. I mean, I've been in it's plenty. I've lived in plenty of other places and gone to church in plenty of other places. Right. And that. That doesn't exist in the community. Like back home where I'm from in Washington. Right. You know, your neighbor is still your neighbor. Whether or not they're LDS. And you see somebody walking down the street, they're still worth talking to just as much as an LDS person.
1: Yeah, I'm not... It it is such a weird phenomenon. And I think that... I, I don't know. I mean, there's also a sense in which, you know, even... You know, the fact that someone is LDS, even that they attend church weekly, I'm not convinced that that tells you really anything about them.
0: No. You know what I mean? Not at all. And
1: so I don't know, again, going back to this idea that we see someone who visually they have things about them that might cue us to the idea that they're not LDS. So for instance, tattoos or the way they dress or whatever. And then extrapolating some kind of meaning from that, you know, to say that well, you know, they probably left the church and they're probably anti, or if they, even if they're not members, well, they they clearly don't value their bodies because look at all the tattoos they have, or you know, they're probably, they're probably they probably have these political views, or they don't, you know, and superimposing those kinds of ide, you know. So attributes, in other words, extrapolating that kind of meaning from just their appearance is really interesting because then we we turn around and do it at church just the opposite way, right? So I see someone at church and immediately I say, oh, well, they're here at church, they're dressed this way, so they must be this kind of person. And it's not clear that either one of those is in fact, right? In fact, you know, in church, this is one of the, probably one of the reasons why home teaching is so is suffering so badly within the church especially within these heavily concentrated Mormon communities because everybody's going to church thinking that everybody else is just fine and no one's really realizing the full gravity of the idea that we're all human beings and as such we're all flawed the, the non-Mormon that's wearing tattoos and tank top, whatever doesn't matter I mean, smoking, who knows that person is, is flawed you know, I, I mean, just as much as the guy that's sitting next to you who's elders Scorn president. And, and, you know what I mean? Like, it reminds me of Uchdorf's saying and in, in priesthood a, a, a few, I don't know, a few, how many sessions ago, but, you know, referring to the idea that we all sin differently. Right. You
0: know? And I don't think that's registered home with us, you know? No, I don't think so either. I think it's registered to some degree within the Mormon community, right? Mm. So, like, you know you see an LDS person drink like some some LDS people are just you know no caffeine right none no yeah. no no coke nothing and so then they see an LDS person who's drinking a coke and they think oh, that person must be sinning or something right right and that's so i think maybe within the community we've kind of gotten over that thinking right. a little bit like now I think when people see a co- see some L- other LDS guy drink a Coke, they don't think anything. Right, up, right, right. So I think within our own LDS community, that's it's definitely been the case, but not outside. Yeah. At least here in the Orem-Provo area, right. That that's thinking it, is it uh, doesn't apply to people who don't fit the LDS yeah. stereotype, right? Right. So it's it's. I don't know. It's fascinating, dude. Like, how do we? I guess just this—what this, kind of brought us to even starting this podcast—is just thinking about this, this uh, fract—the fractured community. I I know people that feel so isolated. Dude. Yeah. Just so isolated here in this community, because they're LDS and just different. Right. You know, they grew up in a different place. It, yeah. But. And nobody takes them under their wing here. Nobody right. talks to them, you know, because they're different. They're slightly different than, like, the cultural Mormon. Right. Which is nothing to do with the teachings of yeah. Mormonism. I mean,
1: it's, yeah. And, it's, and that way, you know, I'm really grateful for, you know, I mean, and, you know, kind of going back to the sponsorship thing in the beginning, but seriously, going, beginning... My, I guess you could even call it a study in a sense at the Yoga Underground. Um, you know, coming from the CrossFit community, that's the, what the exercise that I was doing prior to starting yoga. Um, you know, having started yoga rec- basically on recommendation from my brother after having had a phone call one night where I told him how stressed I was about various things, and his simple response was, Have you tried? Have you tried yoga? And I kind of was like, no, but I didn't really think that would be very helpful. And he said something to the effect that just try it once and then tell me what you think. And And why not, right? Yeah. And I tried it once and I loved it and thought I'll get a membership and start going. And I think one of the things now that was so appealing when I look back is the fact that I immediately, I think maybe even within the first time that I went, recognized people that had certain values that I hadn't seen anybody anywhere else, right? People that that seemed to be Yeah, I mean I, I don't know. They just had values you know. One one example might be an openness to learning about other religious faiths, right? So there's a sense in which, you know, for me anyway, growing up as a non-member in a home in which you know, all these other religions were were sort of their ideas were floating around. I don't feel like that's a bad thing. And, and I don't really have a desire to just cut that part off from me, you know. And I feel like that's been part of my identity. And I would imagine it's the same for a lot of non-members because a lot of non-members, or I'm sorry, a lot of members of the church who were converts come from a different faith of some sort, you know. And so... It really would make them feel at home if they were in a space in which we don't think of every other faith as simply basically the sum of their identity is an apostate faith. You know, that's what it is. It's let me give you the James E. Thomas Spiel, it's a broken off sect. You know, they have a piece of the truth, but not the whole thing. We completely
0: discount any good that could come from that that philosophy. The idea is,
1: yeah, we've got it all, just you know. And I think that's... That's... It's
0: damaging, dude.
1: It's an oversimplification. I do think it's damaging because there's a lot of people, like I said, that have joined the church from other faiths and it's not clear to them then how they can reconcile their former lifestyle with being a member of the church, you know? Like, all these good things then have to... They they become compartmentalized into this small area, you know? Right. Um,
0: this is not to say that every... LDS person is like No, no, no right? not at all. It just seems like a high percentage here in Provo. Right. In Orem, Provo, and probably lots of parts of Utah.
1: And like you said, going back from me, that it was just important that I, again, feel uh, like I had other people within the Mormon community that understood me with re- that regard. And so, back to what you were saying, it's super important for people to feel like identified with, you know? There are these Mormons living in the Provo Worm area who, like you said, feel isolated be- precisely because they can't identify with other Mormons like that, you know? Right. They haven't found the communal niche, niche so to speak, where they have Mormons of similar values.
0: Right. And I don't know. I mean, I guess just even talking about it helps. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the fact that we're even, like, discussing it right now. I mean, I don't know how many people are going to actually listen to this podcast. Right. Hopefully it's, like, more than one. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it just—I feel like it's a conversation that needs to be had in, in the community here that's not being had. Like, my wife, she's a convert. Right. She was baptized just a few years ago. Right. And she's she's been to church in Alaska. She's been there. In, she's been to church in Oregon and Washington. So she's seen what, like— other LDS communities are like right. that are a little bit just more... I don't know if it's just more used to other cultures or something. Yeah, And um, and then we moved here um, from school and it's been hard, dude. It's been really hard for her. It's yeah. been hard for me and I've right. grown up LDS. Yeah. But it's been really hard for her because she comes from a completely different background. Yeah. Like way different than what's here. Right. Right. And so <clears throat> there's almost... Not much like she doesn't see any effort by people to like understand that aspect of her like yeah they just want to hear about her conversion and and you know that's great like right she really loves her conversion story and everything but, yeah but there's more to her than just that right you know what I mean she yeah. she has so many interesting things that she's gone through in life that don't get talked about. And right. I don't know. It's she's have a hard. She's just different. Like the culture here is really focused on. Like I don't know. I don't know how to say this without sounding super critical, but it's like really vain. Yeah, have you notice that? Like there's yeah. a lot of vanity that goes around in this area. Like like spray tanning and like lots of makeup. And, well, yeah, awesome. and I don't
1: think it's any surprise that the gym industry here seems thriving. I mean, I remember back when Gold's Gym was here, and that got bought out by Vasa real quick, and then Vasa started popping up everywhere. I mean, you know, and I don't want to name drop Vasa to purely a stigmatic way. way because there are people I know that genuinely use Vasa as a means I, I of go to
0: Vasa, a <laughs> real
1: exercise. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with Vasa per se, but I do think that. It is indicative that this chain has found so much success here, and I've been to Vasa before, and I find that there are tons of people that seem very preoccupied with how they look. You know,
0: yeah. So that's the thing is like we want to encourage people to go to gyms, right? right? Like we want those gyms to be full. Yeah, we want people to be doing it for health, right, or for how it makes them feel, or yeah, even for a sense of community, right? Right. Because like you know, you, you get into a a little. Workout group, and it's a sense of community, right? Um, but going there simply to look good, there's something wrong with that, yeah. And it goes completely contrary to what the teachings of Mormonism are, yeah, right? And that, yeah, it's the opposite of vanity. Like, think about the early Mormons, the pioneers, right? Those women weren't wearing weight makeup, yeah, they were making homemade bread, they were like you know so it's really fascinating that we've come from this like pioneer culture that was not at all thinking like in they were not vain at all right to like this it's really strange culture that if you if a woman isn't wearing eyelashes fake eyelashes she doesn't have those on she stands out right and that's one thing with Michaela because she doesn't like wearing lots of makeup she comes she's not wear makeup at all now she wears you know a little bit of mascara and eyeliner because she she just she said this today like within a week of being here she started wearing those things right because she sees all these other girls and she thinks wow you gotta fit in you gotta fit in and like it's it's kind of uh, destructive of women's confidence. Oh, for sure. Here. It's I feel like women here in Provo Orum like really lack some confidence. Oh and not, absolutely. not all women. Of course, like right. You know, this is this is I know we're like making generalities, so, yeah. but it's a high percentage.
1: Well I know like just from my undergraduate time at BYU, there definitely seemed to be a sense and I mean this was even unfortunately joked about among the guys and then lamented about by the women which was to say that the the amount of girls compared to the guys was so much higher that the guys kind of could handpick who they wanted to date and so there's a sense in which every girl feels like
0: she's she's gotta just be the top yeah
1: exactly and so I think that's really destructive right because then and one of the, and I don't know how to exactly to parse this. I mean, in in our faith, we obviously believe in the importance of being married in the temple. Um, and in order to do that, you presumably need a date. But that whether or not you get married at the same time is not indication of the quality of person that you are. And so, but I think that it's been become associated with that. There's like a culture in which it's like if you're not dating someone. And if you're not married, you're not successful in a huge portion of your life. And to the degree that girls are more attractive and they're asked out on dates, it seems like they are more successful because they're at least more headed towards eternal marriage and marriage in the temple, right? And so there's a real sense in which girls that aren't being asked out on dates, that don't fit the mold for what's considered beautiful out here, feel, I think, like they aren't making the cut, so to speak, and, right. and they're not, you know, and that's got to be super destructive because there there's a sense in which that's not entirely within their control, and yet it's pertaining to something that's so, so essential, dude, namely your relationship with God and like how you're doing in life, right? And I mean, I mean, just think about that. What would it feel like to think that, all of that really comes down to the fact that you just don't look as pretty or something as the girl next to you. Yeah, it's
0: you know what I mean that you don't. I don't know, dude. It makes me like really feel sad, you know. Yeah, we need to get some women on here because, like, I, I mean, yeah. we're like you know, like we can only say so much, right? Because we don't have that perspective. No, for sure. Um, so it'd be we'll definitely get some women on to talk about what. Their experience has been in that. Yeah. And, like, I'm just really hoping for some really hon- some real honesty yeah. you know, from those women to see what they think. Because I think it's a really destructive thing. It is. In the culture. And, like, women feel like they have to compete. So I feel like it's harder for women to be friends with other women here. Right. As opposed to other places where women literally, they... They unite with one another, like right? They're, like, they're marching with each other. Oh, right? yeah. Whereas here, it's almost like a tension between the women. And that just further worsens the problem.
1: Act, adds to the fracturing of the community. Exactly. Like you said, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Dude. And, and, and that way, you think about church and how sometimes... I mean, for me anyway, in the singles world... You know, I'll be honest. There's some Sundays in some wards I've been in that it feels like it's a freaking fashion show. You know what I mean? Oh, Showing man. up, it's like, it's about what you're wearing and and it's it's every girl's time to shine, so to speak, you know? They get all done up. And, and I just it's not can't about help but... what
0: a, the meeting is supposed to be Yeah, about.
1: and I can't help but think that this is not what any general authority has in mind when they say that you should look... Or anyone, really. The person who coined the term... Get get on your Sunday best. I don't think they had that in mind. No. I, I sure hope not. You know. No. I think there's a sense in which it was to display reverence for God and and the ritualistic aspect of of the worship, and not at all for what was going to be seen by other people. You know. Right. And it's slowly transformed into that because this is a time when you know social and you know I get asked out on a date after church, and so little by little that becomes sort of prioritized over the actual worship you know which Absolutely. I think is really sad you know what I mean because yeah. it turns church into uh, like a circus you know
0: it's not even really you know and the, honestly dude in wards like that you could just feel it's like what's the point of right. being here I'm not you know because there is a collective consciousness yeah right? we've talked about this before where like uh, even if we don't even aren't even aware of it but every uh, uh, other people's behavior influences us oh yeah and not even their behavior but i think like it goes as far as like their thoughts right right what they're thinking which then manipulate and manipulates how they their body language works yeah. and just like this is you can detect that in a community and then like it's hard not to find yourself assimilating into that oh, very same it's in, thinking I think it's impossible
1: to some extent yeah because if you're around that community long enough that's going to be how you begin to identify yourself in some ways you know I mean yeah so I uh, yeah I it is it is very very difficult and I think that going back to things like yoga and meditation you know that's one of the reasons why So so frequently in yoga there's You know, different things that are said at the beginning of the class just to get people kind of thinking in the right mindset. And things like, don't worry about what you look like. It doesn't matter what you look like in this pose. Just sort of feel the pose. Just be here, you know.
0: Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your neighbor. And compare yourself with how they're doing.
1: Absolutely. Close your eyes, right? How this is like paradigmatically different than what people are experiencing every day when they go to school, when they go to work here in Provo, or or, you know, and then unfortunately even when they go to church, you know, and so I think that's another reason why. um,
0: I I don't know. It's It's people that's good for the community. Basically, what we're Folks, the, the the theme we're nailing down here, yeah. if you haven't picked up on it yet, right. is that yoga is good for the community, okay, and meditation as well. But honestly, more than anything, just talking about these things, I think, is going to heal, yeah. you know, help heal. And I think yoga is definitely a tool that can help heal. Right. right? But surely there are other tools yeah. that, that will help. But the and point it, is that there's a problem. Right. And it exists in this community, I've felt isolated as a lifelong LDS member who's been on a mission. Right. I have felt isolated. All, I mean, numerous times, almost always, I feel isolated in this community. Yeah. And uh, that's not, the thing is that we have to really parse out here is like, that's not Mormonism, right? Right. That's this weird culture that exists here. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know, I think it needs to be addressed. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think
1: that it, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, you do get people. I, I do think that they, that some people that leave the church have valuable criticisms aimed at the community, but they're, they, they see it as aimed at the church, right? So it's like, well, I don't like, going to church every sunday because it's just a, it's like a circus you know i'm a, i don't feel like we're really there to worship god and mormons are seem to be two faced because they're really there just to socialize and it's very vain and it doesn't really there there's not a lot of practicing of their actual teachings and so on and so forth and to some extent i think that criticism is spot on for the community uh, you know i don't think that the, again i don't i don't think that the church needs to take the brunt of that criticism because the teachings of the church seem very much against those kinds of communal activities, right? Right. But, I mean, you know, for someone who hasn't lived in a community like you were talking about, you know, in Washington or whatever, where they've experienced a lot of different diversity within the church and different, different communal niches within the church... I could see why they would begin to associate all of that with Mormonism in general. And that's, like, really saddening to me, you know? Um, and something that I'd like to help to change, you know, to shift, to think that, hey, look, there are Mormons that practice yoga and meditation. and That are different. There yeah. is, like,
0: There is, this, like, there's kind of, like, an underground community here in Provo. That, right. that are LDS, but also engage in things that don't fit the culture here. Right. Or don't dress the way the culture does here, right. right? And so, I think building that culture could be beneficial, you know?
1: Yeah. And no, I, I absolutely agree. It's... And we need... we. Need, I mean, it started a little bit, but it. we have a long way to go. Oh. Know?
0: Yeah, we do. We do have... I mean, I want to be positive, you know? <laughs> I want to be like, yeah, we're going to change. Things are going to get better. But, dude, it's a, it's... We're in the doldrums. Yeah, we need we need like a revolution (laughs) or something, you know. Yeah. And the thing is, it's just it really is hard for people not to equate the culture here in Utah and Provo and Orem and lots of places in Utah. Right. It's not to equate that with, you know, whatever it is that. I just lost my train of thought. Never mind. Well, the, it's,
1: it's <laughs> maybe maybe I can fill in the gap for you because what it was seemed like you were going to say that was
0: like, super <laughs> insightful, and then like my brain just I, stopped working. I trust me. you there. <laughs> I think
1: it sounded like you were going to say that it's difficult not to equate the community with the religion or with the yeah, that's exactly with the ideas what you It's, know, the it's
0: hard. It's hard not to yeah you know, to make to to make that connection. You right. Know? Like I've even I have felt that a little bit like. Maybe the church is just not for me, because I just don't fit in here. I don't right. fit in at church. Yeah. And I know better, right? I know right. better that there's a difference between the culture here in Utah and everywhere in Utah, and the teachings of Mormonism. Right. Right. And so, because yeah, if you read
1: the Book of Mormon, there ain't nothing about wearing makeup or anything no it's Make- the opposite Like, yeah.
0: why, they always talk about how many times does it bring up the idea of you know and then they then once they got wealthy then they started wearing their fine clothing what, are the, what is the right word yeah their
1: the, the fine apparel or yeah like costly apparel yeah
0: exactly and then they become vain and they stiffen their neck and yeah don't help the poor and I think we're like in that in this area we're like in that Cycle right now we're at that point in the cycle right and I mean what what happens in the Book of Mormon in that cycle yeah right there's a crash at some point right and if we don't do something to like reverse ourselves in the cycle then I think it's just gonna be something bad's going to happen here. Yeah. And that's, that sounds kind of ridiculous. And I don't mean like, you know, violence or anything. Right. But just, it's going to be a really negative culture. Well,
1: if nothing else, the fracturing will continue that we've already discussed. And I'll be honest, I've met some some people that have left the church here and the, the impossibility of discourse between the parties is really discouraging. And, you know, I think it, it really just—it's very divisive, you know what I mean. And so, if nothing else, if that continues the way it the way it is the way it is going now, that's it, that's gonna add to the suffering of lots of people, you know. Right. What about people like, um, yeah? What about people that that have mem fam, um, family members that aren't members of the church? You know, it adds the difficulty with discourse between. In in families, dude. Yeah, it's not it's not just friends, right? It, this whole kind of fracturing that we're talking about is gonna really begin to tear apart families, as people find it difficult to have any kind of rational discourse with people that they that they love and have known for you know twenty years or something, because they belong to communities that just don't see eye to eye on these, you know, right. and they can't even talk without there being tensions. So. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And uh,
0: yeah, people. I mean, it's interesting because I've known even people who are like just really strong LDS, and even were able to distinguish the culture from the teachings. But their brother or sibling decided to leave the church, right? And then that sibling who's really strong sees how all the members treat their brother and then that makes them leave the church too. Interesting. Because they see how, you know, they see how vile people can be towards somebody that you know, maybe made a really like a su- super well thought out conscious decision to leave. Right. You know, and for their conscious whatever for whatever reason they yeah. that was the decision they made, you know, and that decision even though It's hard to see people do that, like, as an LDS person, because you want people to be in the faith. Right. um, But you have to respect it, dude. Yeah. You have to be respectful of those people's choices and then be respectful of who they are. Yeah. They're still a human being. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that, I don't know, in this regard,
1: I'm just reminded of all the New Testament, you know, situations that we find Jesus in where he's teaching against the kind of, I don't know what you call it a kind of communal exclusivity that's practiced, you know So when they see what is it Matthew can you know and you know oh he's a publican or this or that you know and there's all these different situations in which we find Jesus chastising his own followers. Right, for for practicing a kind of exclusivity, if you will. You know, and I think that we look at those scriptures and we we kind of it's easy for us to
0: point out like, well, you know, see they they kind of They're not doing the right thing. Right. But we we don't don't think about it. uh, how we are literally doing the same exact thing. Right. You meet people that are vegetarians that get crap all the time from you know, oh well you
1: know, I mean, that's ridiculous, like, you know, and, and
0: it's you experienced kind of, this personally. Yeah, right? I was
1: pescatarian right after coming home from the mission for a year. I mean, you know that because we met around that time, and I literally experienced my I, ultra mild persecution, but a kind of persecution nonetheless. That is that people. I would I, was, I would
0: honestly argue that it was enough persecution to literally push somebody away. I saw the persecution. I was there. I yeah. saw how you, you know, some of the. Roommates, you may have had,
1: yeah, yeah. They thought it they, was ridiculous. They were, well, you, you know, you, the, the vegetarian or this or that, and it just seemed like all these connotations. You weren't a man, refer- yeah. anymore.
0: You weren't, you weren't a studly man anymore, right? Which is just ridiculous, yeah. thinking, dude, and and so that type of judgment pushes people who are different away, man, right? Somebody who grew up in Japan or. In a country where that's what they ate every day was yeah. just fish or and they didn't eat meat, right? Somebody, and then they move here and they think, oh, I'm moving to Zion. I'm moving to where the church started. I'm so excited. And then they come and they're living this lifestyle that they lived before and people treat them differently. Right. Because of that. Yeah. That doesn't even make sense because it's not – there's no contradiction between – Being vegetarian and being LDS. Yeah, absolutely
1: none. You know, and or or someone who doesn't wanna own a gun or something like I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking like there are tons of different things we can point out where there does seem to be a little bit of intolerance. And it's like you said, I mean for me, I think, you know, I didn't grow up vegetarian or pescatarian, so I I was able to kind of see where people are kind of coming from in a sense because it was something that even I had thought was different when I first encountered it but like you said someone who's like they're so inculcated in that you know not even just because they grew up with it I mean let's say someone was really persuaded by argument that that's the best way to live and they just they are 100% dialed into that that could be a really tough thing for your own religious community to offer such you know, castigation for, for something that you find so important, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's crucial to the way that you identify even with yourself.
0: It's like, I, yeah, I could totally see someone living, leaving over that, you know? Absolutely. People do. Yeah. Over something. I mean, and it's not even, they're not leaving because, because here's the thing, here's, this is important for us to clarify. I think, yeah. That we're not saying that if you do own a gun, it's a bad thing. Right. Or that if you are a meat eater and you eat meat daily, it's a bad thing. Right. You know, we're not saying that. Yeah. And, but we're just simply saying that there's some mindset, like it's judgmental. It's like some judgmental mindset that is in the culture. Right. That when people come into the church with those ideas, they push it, they push them out of the church. Yeah. And so it's, it's really destructive for the LDS community. And I think it's gotta be addressed. Like if we want a happy good unified wholesome community there's got to be some bridges built between
1: yeah i think that i i wonder where i mean to take it even more philosophically where does where do uni- unity and uniformity touch or depart you know i mean like
0: in yeah, order for there to be unity,
1: I don't think there needs to be uniformity. Not
0: at all. Like it's, I mean, to say that would be really weird. Because think about a machine. There's so many different types of parts that are making that machine run. Right. Like there's, you know, in a car, you got. I mean, they don't have carburetors. I don't know enough right. about cars even to comment. To like say, anything. <laughs> but you know what I mean? There's right. so many different parts that each has a vastly different design and shape and look. And then all together, it's running, right? So there's no uniformity but complete unity. So you don't need...
1: Right. Well, and even just the basic concept of unity is you can't have unity with one thing, right? Because then it's not unified. It it just is one thing. Like, there is no unification, so to speak. It is...
0: You can't even use
1: the word. You can't even use the word. That's right. It doesn't even make sense. So you can only have unity within a multiplicity. Right. So in that sense, I think we need to keep that in mind as we think about unity within the church. It does not mean eradicating differences. It does mean something else, more nuanced, more subtle, but it doesn't have to do with eradicating differences. Because if that's the case, then it, we're not talking about unity anymore. We're talking about, we're talking about uh, something else. I don't know what we would call that thing, but that's not unity because unity presupposes that there are different things. You know what I mean? Right. And so you know, I don't I don't know what it is with you know about this community in general that we're that we're so averse to differences that we want to eradicate those, but like you said, there does seem to be a, a draw to to kind of treating people that are different as radically different, you know that irreconcilably so, you know.
0: Yeah, and what comes to mind? You know that scripture in the Book of Mormon where it talks about knitting your hearts together as one, right? Yeah. When that when it talks about that scripture, I don't think it's referring to the members should unify themselves as or knit their hearts together as one. I think it's talking about the community. Whether there's people, because it never says that, you know, the the people of the church or whatever. I mean, it could be—it's a community, right? right. And whether the people are members of the church or not, there's got to be—we've got to knit our hearts together as one, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean we believe the same. And I don't think we're—like, with this podcast, I don't think we're trying to, like, convert people no. to LDS. No. I think we're just simply trying to have a dialogue, a dialogue that, I don't know, like, bridges— I don't even know. Like it's, We just need some sort of- Right. Way to, to just make the community a little bit more tolerant of yeah. one another or, this, because the thing is it bleeds into everything. It bleeds into like friendliness in the stores. Like when I go to a store in, in many other communities, you know, people say hi and smile and nobody gets mad at each other. We're on the roads driving on the roads in other states or other right. communities. People are a little bit more tolerant. But here, everybody's just... It seems like people are just angry. And, like, on the road, nobody's... Like, no, like rarely does somebody go wave you in ahead of them. Yeah. You go into other states, people wave you in all the time. Right. It's, it's like a daily thing that like somebody's waving you into the lane. Right. <laughs> That's just, I, I don't experience I kind of want to
1: be waved into a lane. That'd be nice. Dude, it is...
0: <laughs> You know? let me tell you there's like that's like a, one of the kindest things you can do for me yeah. like if you do that dude i am your servant for the rest of the life i will make sure i like wave to you I, i'll roll down the window and wave. See, i love
1: the yeah the window rolling down and the little hand outside i love that you know? yeah that's dude. enough to make my day it's just know? a little
0: bit of effort that they put forth in order to show <laughs> some gratitude right. or you know that is just little things like that yeah dude. I, I mean this is super conjectural to say that there's any connection between what we're talking about and, you know, the traffic the way the traffic treats each other. <laughs> right, right. But I don't know, man, it's something to think about. There who know, there might be a connection there. Yeah. And one way or the other, it's happening. It's right. It's a real thing. I know from my own from my own personal experience and a lot of friends that I have that Either have left the church or they're not members that live here, and they just—it's hard for them, dude. Yeah, and it creates a really bad reputation for LDS people, right? And I think this is especially um, apparent in Salt Lake City. Oh yeah, dude. You know, nowhere else is the are the polarities so striking. You know, right? And in some ways, like the people that. That are upset with with Mormons in Salt Lake City. They to some degree they have, they have some justification, dude. Yeah, because they've been treated badly for a long time, and now they finally have more people that have come into the city that you know are from other places. To like convert to their idea of right. how evil the Mormons are and how bad the Mormons are. Right. I mean, maybe I, mean, I don't. I don't know. They don't. They don't necessarily say evil, you know. Like, right. But they just they're intolerant. Right. And in a lot of ways they are, dude. Right. And like that doesn't mean the church itself is intolerant. Right. Or the teachings of the church, they're not at all. They're yeah. It's exact opposite. But the culture is. Right. I think it. I don't know. It's good. It's good to even just realize that
1: yeah i think that you know i think there's a general i mean i think dialogues like this you know they're they're very important once you know when push comes to shove you wonder where does the you know i think there one could probably make the well I, i don't know if make the argument but at least problematize how to parse the culture from the teachings of the church, you know, um, because even you mentioned, like, it's difficult to find, you know, how to know or how not to begin at least identifying the culture of the church with the church itself and the teachings. But, you know, I think it's really important that we strive to remember that they're not the same, even if we can't clearly demarcate the difference between the two. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because I'll i be honest, I don't know, if you ask me right now, tell me exactly where the line is. Where does the church cease to be, the, you know, the teachings as opposed to the community and the organization, so to speak, or whatever. I don't know that I'd be able to tell you, you know. But that doesn't mean that there is no difference. And it also doesn't mean that the difference doesn't become salient in certain respects, you know? It's just that certain things like that are very difficult to distinguish perfectly, you know what I mean? And I think most people would agree with that. Like, I mean, we've all heard the odd bishop get up and say something that didn't quite strike us as being correct, or or what have you. Even the brethren have mentioned you know they've they've sort of laid claim to the fact that they're not perfect either, and so you know there there has to be a difference between the people within the church and the ideas or the teachings that are espoused by the church. You know, um, and I think it's really important to keep that in mind because when you lose sight of that, there's a sense in which we begin to identify you know, the church itself, like you said, with, with its culture and the church is as a community, as a people is not at all perfect. In fact, we're so far from it. And that's like one of the beautiful things. And so important to keep in mind is that that's, that's the whole point of in some, some sense, that is the whole point of going to church is the fellowship and help each other become stronger members. You know, that if we, if we were all freaking, you know, St. You know Francis a sissy, then we wouldn't be. Then there wouldn't. I don't get... even know who that is. Who is was okay. St. Francis a sissy is you know the one that that I think he's uh... a. <laughs>
0: just <is> so funny. <laughs> <laughs> he said that it was beautiful, dude. <laughs> uh, just,
1: uh, you know I mean, that, You know this is the guy that I think he he's mythologizes having spoken with animals and a number of things. I I just remember this from my my Catholic upbringing, but. You know, he was a good man. He wrote a lot of different stuff. And point is, if all of us were like that, then there's a sense in which we wouldn't have Sunday school or priesthood, at least, you know? Right. Maybe just the sacrament. But there, there's a whole lot of other components of the church that would immediately become unnecessary. Why even go to institute? We don't right. need to learn anything more. We're already practicing the law. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I think we forget the context in which the... The meetings and and the practices in the church, within that they that they are able to have value. They have value because we're so flawed. You know what I mean? Right. That we need the atonement. So it doesn't make any sense for us to begin to chastise or castigate or see other people as lower than we are, or that their differences are somehow indicative of their fear inferiority. That makes no sense. No,
0: dude. Literally, there's literally no. I'm sorry, that was a little close to the microphone. <laughs> There's literally no logic behind that yeah. thinking at all. It's completely antithetical. I don't get it. how that, how, did, how do we get to that? Yeah. Like how, how do people make that logical leap? Do you think it's just, they don't, it's like something that's, it comes from, it's just, I'm not, I don't know, like the, the something that you don't detect that just happens. Yeah. Maybe the collective consciousness or like something.
1: It's a good, yeah, there could be a part of a sociological phenomenon that we've kind of identified wherein you get a lot of people of a single religious faith together in one area. You know, there's such strong congruency in many ways that any kind of deviation from that congruency is then seen as a kind of aberration, you know, could be something like that or, you know I, I yeah i'm not i'm not i really don't know but
0: the cool thing that i'm 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 really excited for for this podcast is to just because t- the thing is right now you and i are both lds right and so we're having this conversation and we're like kind of guessing what what the non-mormon mormons or the like ex-mormons or whatever are thinking right right and um so, I don't know, maybe it's not, we're not really achieving what our goal is, which is to create a dialogue between those right. two people. We're just talking. Yeah, we're too to talking. <laughs> so, what I'm excited about is to have some other guests yes. who have experienced these things because they're not members or they're ex-Mormons or whatever the reason is. Right. They've experienced how difficult it is in this community. And um, just to hear their thoughts. And, you know, we're going to... I think that we'll see, you know, some respect between each other. Right. Like, I don't imagine we're gonna if we bring a non LDS person in here who's lived in Utah for a long time, I don't think they're gonna come in and just you know, dog on the Mormons the whole time if the purpose of this podcast is to create a dialogue between each other and that respect between us and them, I think could just give like a little bit of a taste of how the community as a whole could be if we engaged in that same sort of dialogue with one another, you know? Absolutely. So I'm really excited to get some people on. Yeah, me too. No, it's true. Have a different perspective on things (laughs) than than two LDS guys, you know, went on (laughs) missions and whatnot. Yeah. No, um, and
1: I think, yeah, that it could be, like you said, archetypal for what could, for the kind of transformation that, that could happen within the, within the community, you know, and it, I mean, I don't expect we'll be able to anticipate exactly all the things that might be said, but that's precisely the point. I'm not going to be able to understand or conquer all of the objections that are maybe raised, but I, you know, that that's not necessarily the point, you know, the point is that I'm willing to listen and some of them, I might even agree with and those that I disagree with. That's fine. You know, it's not, right. That it's not. That's not. It doesn't need to become a point of contention or, or. Verbal violence, so to speak, you
0: know. Right, and I think the other thing that's important too, is, um, that you, folks that are listening, or and I, are, we're not perfect at this either. Dude. Oh yeah. Like we make lots of judgments every single day from the perspective of an LDS person, like. Right. You know, it's we're a victim of the of the collective consciousness yeah. as we've been talking about, and I think, you know, kind, I'm kind of a little bit nervous, I guess, to kind of go down this dialogue we're gonna have with people, right? Because it's gonna have to cause me to look inward a little bit, yeah. And I mean, I th- yeah, I think, I think that I don't know, like it's gotta be a good thing, right?
1: Oh, for sure. I think it's going like to be good Just to get a
0: little self-reflection yeah. is going to be good. You know, even though it might be a little bit uncomfortable, I think that it'll, in the end, it'll help me be a better member of the church, a better human being, a better member of the community. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe no, maybe. absolutely. I mean, could just be like, I'm throwing out fluff. I don't know. No, maybe.
1: I think that's absolutely right. Like there's... This is, I mean, this is slightly correlated, but there's a sense, and I do kind of want to bring this up and see what other people have to to say about this, people who've left the church or whatever. But um, within the church, I've had the experience before of seeing other people go through really tragic affairs um, in life, you know. I mean, I'm using the word affair in the general sense of the word. Some happenstance, not like marital, right? Although that could be something, but you know, something really terrible happens to them, and the a response that's typically given is, "Well, there's a reason for it," and in saying that, I worry that in some significant sense, there's a turning away from the suffering. There's a sense in which, by saying that. And not always, because I can imagine there's a way you could say that, that you're genuinely trying to bring that person solace. But there could be a way in which you say that to comfort yourself, because there's no way for you to really make sense of it.
0: Interesting, yeah.
1: And you're just saying that in order to prevent you from actually fully interfacing with the suffering of another person, That's a
0: really fascinating idea. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: And I feel like I've noticed that within myself, and... I think it's correlated to what we're talking about because when we speak with someone who's left the church, it's going to presumably be because of some kind of suffering that's incurred. And a lot of times, a typical Mormon response is to say something like, well, they just misunderstood this, or they're, you know, and it's not clear that we've really acknowledged the suffering that's gone on. I think there's a subtle difference between acknowledging the suffering that's gone on and saying that the person's. A judgments that have come out of that suffering are correct you know mm. someone could endure suffering from people on behalf of the church or, or I shouldn't say on behalf of but members of the church and then form a conclusion about the church in general that may not be correct but that doesn't mean that their suffering wasn't somehow valid you know what I mean? No
0: yeah exactly and
1: so learning like you said that to, to explore and navigate that really difficult niche where we are acknowledging the suffering of these other people without wishing it away or somehow you know summarily sort of dismissing it as, you know with a trope platitude or a trite platitude like well it, it all happens for a reason or I'm sorry that you felt that way
0: but whatever you know I, right it it's can't a, be it's a problem with you it's not with right this our community
1: yeah that's not I don't think that's the way Jesus would handle any kind of suffering you know no There's, there's gonna. We need to have patience, and there's a sense in which I can't theoretically conquer that suffering. I'm I'm not gonna be able to give you some nice little explanation for why it happened, and then just kind of wish it away. You know, it's not gonna happen like that. You know, I I need to acknowledge it, and then, and hopefully through that kind of acknowledgement, like you said, the bridge can be forged, and we can have a genuine dialogue that's founded on. I don't know, some kind of mutual love, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to these these future podcasts, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of want to talk about them right now, but we shouldn't because we don't have like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we don't have like, you know, locked down commitments with people yet, but we've brought up some, I mean, we have some people who have expressed interest. Right. And so um, I think... I think we'll see some interesting things. Uh, I think it's time to wrap up. What do you think? Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, we've been going for a while now. We right? have. Huh? It's been like two hours, dude. Jeez. We're, we're like Joe Rogan right now. <laughs> no, no. If we were Joe Rogan, we'd be like at five the hours. Joe better, Rogan now. experience over
1: here, <laughs> <laughs> except with Mormons.
0: I know. absolutely. Anyway. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you later, folks. Take See ya. Care, maybe uh, next episode. Have a good night. All right, we're gonna do a meditation now. So if you could find a seat somewhere to sit down, It could be a chair, it could be the couch, uh, you could sit on the ground, you could even lay down if you want. There's no really no required. Um, position and as you're sitting there just start paying attention to your breath your breath as it goes in through your nose and out through your nose or in through your mouth and out through your mouth Take a few more breaths. Now at the sound of the bell, we're gonna begin a meditation about your neighbor and having love and compassion for your neighbor, whether they be LDS, non-LDS, a member of another faith, member of no faith. And it's going to be about thinking differently about our neighbors in a more positive way. I want you to imagine yourself as you're sitting there. And I want you to imagine you or somebody else looking at yourself. And I want you to say to that person, may you be well. May you be happy. May you find peace. And repeat that in your mind as you look at this person sitting there. take a few more breaths. Now I want you to think about your neighbor. Think about your neighbor next door. And I want you to think whether they're LDS or whether they're not, whether they're a member of a different faith, or a member of no faith. I want you to think about them. And I want you to imagine looking at them. And I want you to say to them, may you be well, may you be happy, may you find peace. Repeat that in your mind as you think about that person. to transition, think about your other neighbor. Maybe the ones across the street or the ones next door or the ones above or the ones below. And again, whether they are LDS, non LDS, member of a different faith, a member of no faith. Think about that person. and Imagine yourself looking in their eyes and saying, may you be well. May you be happy. May you find peace and repeat that in your mind over and over as you breathe and pay attention to your breath. Now we're going to transition to the community as a whole. Whatever town you're in, even if it's not in Utah, I want you to think about your community. And imagine seeing your community together And I want you to look at them and say, may you be well, may you be happy, may you find peace. And repeat that in your mind over and over as you breathe. bell rings. I want you to pay attention to your breath as you slowly start to open your eyes.